We just recently began that new series that we've entitled The Way. And um, (laughs) the intent of the series was to see three or four highlights of the Sermon on the Mount. We were going to take out three or four big moments in the Sermon on the Mount and look at them real carefully as we determined how to live in this way, this new, uh, this new life that Jesus was introducing. And um, <laughs> as of yesterday, the plan has changed. Instead of looking at three or four highlights, I really think that we're going to benefit more by looking at the entire Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to walk through it paragraph by paragraph, and uh, this is going to take us through the summer and probably just a little bit into the fall. But I think it's important for us to look at the entire Sermon on the Mount, which sounds like a great idea. I just wish that I had changed my direction earlier or later because the timing sets us up that this morning we have to look at the most complicated passage in the whole sermon. But it's also one of the most exciting. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 17 as we consider the righteous way. You may remember we got started when uh, Jesus introduced the new way. We looked at the Beatitudes as he said, this is, this is how people are blessed. This is a new way of thinking. He, he, ter- he took what they understood about uh, pleasing God and serving him and being God's people, and he flipped it all upside down. He introduced a new way. And then last week, we, we saw that you and I are called to, to light the way. That as we begin to live in this new way, we're going to call it the kingdom. I believe the Sermon on the Mount was an introduction to the kingdom of God. And as we begin to live in this kingdom, it becomes our role to light the way for others. That they too can find this new way and live in this kingdom. And so this morning we're going to to follow up on the next paragraph in the sermon, and we're going to look at the righteous way. Beginning in uh, verse 17 of chapter 5, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a complex text. And at first glance, it seems to go contrary to what many of us uh, grew up learning 
As Baptists, one of our primary emphases is that we are saved by grace. You cannot earn your salvation. It is given to you by God because he loves you and because he chooses to give you that grace. And now it is, seems to, we seem to hear Jesus saying, you still have to keep the law. You, you, you still have to do the right things. And so at first glance, there's kind of this conflict in our minds and hopefully in our hearts, trying to come to grips with what he's saying. So let's be very careful this morning and let's look at it uh, kind of dig a little bit deeper than maybe we're used to on a Sunday morning. But let's spend some time dealing with these words. You'll notice that he changes his perspective all of a sudden in verse 17. The Beatitudes was third person. He said, blessed are they that. So the first section was third person. Then he went to second person when he said, you are the light, you are the salt. Very personal, second person. And now he switches to first person. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law. He, he says, in order for us to understand this third person picture of the kingdom, and in order for us to understand the reality of this second person uh, uh, job that we have in bringing people into the kingdom, we have to first of all understand this first person explanation of who he is and why he came. Remember as well that he is speaking to a, a vast uh, crowd that is made up of different people. Yes, his primary audience is the poor in spirit, the, those who mourn, the meek, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the merciful. His primary audience is those who are being introduced into the kingdom, new disciples, if you will. But at the same time, he knows that the scribes and Pharisees are scattered around as well. And they're listening they're listening not to learn as much as to gain ammunition that might be used against him. And so he teaches both groups in such a way that, that he addresses both of their concerns at the same time. He says in verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And the first thing that we need to understand as we deal with this passage is that Jesus fulfilled the law. He says to the scribes and Pharisees, guys, you're accusing me of, uh, of not keeping the law. And that was one of the, their favorite things. You know, he would heal somebody on a Sunday and they would freak out, not happy that Messiah had healed a lame man or a blind man. Instead, they're mad that he worked on a Sunday. And he, he had this same conversation with these folks over and over and over. How come your disciples don't wash their hands ceremonially 
before they eat. There's a ceremony you're supposed to go through, and they don't do that. How, how come your, your disciples grabbed a piece of wheat as they walked down the street, and that's harvesting, and that's working on a Sunday? They're just nitpicking him to death. And so Jesus says, don't think that I've, that I've come to throw away the law. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. It's important that he uses both of those because taken together, they represent the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. We usually even tie those two words together in that phrase, the law and the prophets. It, it represents the whole Old Testament. So he says, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm introducing a new kingdom, a new way, but don't think that I'm just throwing away the old. I'm not throwing away the old. We're about to find out that he's not throwing away the old because the old had a purpose. The Old Testament, the law and the prophets had a purpose. And so what he's saying is, I am bringing some of that to an end, but I'm not throwing it away. I'm completing it. I'm fulfilling it. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. As he introduces this new kingdom, he makes it clear that he's not throwing out what God has done thus far. In reality, the law and the prophets all pointed to Jesus. So understand, when, when we jump into this new kingdom, this is the first book of the New Testament. This is the first major teaching in the New Testament. Understand that as we jump into this new kingdom, this new way He's not undoing the Old Testament. There's no such thing, by the way, as the Old Testament God and a New Testament God. There is God. The New Testament does not cancel out the Old Testament. Instead, it tells the rest of the story. It completes it. It fulfills it. Jesus is the fulfillment of of the law. In more than one way, by the way. One way he fulfilled the law is he kept the law, which none of us could ever say. He kept every bit of the law, never once sinned. None of us can make that claim. In that way, he fulfilled the law, but in a more, in a more meaningful way as well. Because the law's goal, the purpose of the Old Testament law was to show you that you're a sinner. The fact that you can't keep the whole law is the point of the law. And when you realize that you can't keep the whole law, you then realize you need a Savior. When you need a Savior, you are poor in spirit. You recognize you have a need. And you're meek enough to ask for that spiritual help. And you mourn the fact that you're a sinner in need of grace. The law is fulfilled in Christ, not only because he kept all of it, but because the whole purpose of the law was to drive us to him. And now he says, I've come, so I've fulfilled it. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 helps us out a little bit here. Galatians 3 and 24. So then the law was our guardian 
until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That passage is talking about an an ancient uh, practice where they would... um, they, they would use a, a, a servant to basically kind of homeschool the kids. The, the servant's job was to teach the kids and to bring them along until they were mature enough to make their own decisions. And so Paul says that's the role of the law. You, you, don't, you don't know how to live on your own, so the law gave you the steps to take. It told you how to live. That was before faith. All we had was the law. But now that Jesus has come, the law is fulfilled. Now we have faith. Now we don't need the guardian telling us what to do anymore. Something has changed. Jesus changes things. This morning, you may have noticed that the banners are different in the sanctuary. We, we've had the, the Easter banners up since Easter, and that was partially because we did a series that continued, that showed us how Easter changes everything. We did that for a few weeks afterwards, and then I wanted to just leave it alone until this morning when we could change the banners, because today is Pentecost, It's the day that we celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit came and filled believers and the church was born. Friends, now when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit guides us from within, which is why we no longer need the law telling us what to do from without. We don't need the external rules We have the internal guide. And that's what Paul's saying. The law was the guardian until Christ came. Then everything changed. Now we are justified by faith, not by the law. But now that faith has come, we no longer need that guardian. You know, if I I I could get rid of an acorn in two different ways. One, I could get rid of an acorn if I put it there and I got a hammer and I smashed it. I could also get rid of an acorn if I took that acorn and I buried it and I watered it. Over time, that acorn would no longer be an acorn. It would instead be a thank you. The acorn is gone because it has been fulfilled. Its purpose has come to fruition. The law had a purpose. That was to help mankind understand our need for a Savior. It was to point to Jesus. So when Jesus came, he fulfilled its purpose. He didn't come just to throw away the old stuff. He came to fulfill it and complete it. So Jesus fulfilled the law. In so doing, Jesus honored the Old Testament. That's the other thing that I want us to to get this morning. In verse 18, Jesus 
honors the Old Testament. Look, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He says, I'm not throwing the law away. Instead, I'm completing its purpose. So we're not going to throw away a, a dot, an iota. Now, those words are odd, aren't they? Iota and dot. They're, that's kind of that's confusing, especially since, especially since iota is, is playing between more than one language. And in the King James, many of us grew up hearing the terms jot and tittle. Well, the only time we ever heard those words was here, jot and tittle. We kind of got the idea, but what in the world is a jot and a tittle? What is an iota and a dot? What is he talking about? Let me show you. Here is the Hebrew alphabet. And in the Hebrew alphabet, you'll see the, the, the letters. They, they, they go backwards for us. Our equivalent of A is on the far right over there, the top one. Aleph, the next one moving to your left is Beit. So you got, you got kind of A, B, C through that way. As you go across that top line, about two-thirds of the way through, you, you see this little letter, the smallest letter of the alphabet. It's really not anything more than a peep. <laughs> it, it, it looks kind of like our apostrophe. That's a yod. The smallest letter, that's the jot that it's talking about. When it says iota, it's saying the smallest letter. It, it's like the little lowercase i in English. It's the smallest one. Well, let me show you a couple. Let me show you something else. Here are two different Hebrew letters. You've got the, the bait and the cough. Think of it like our B and our K. Look how similar they are. Really, the only thing that separates those two characters is this little part right here. That little part right there makes a significant difference. It tells you which letter is which. And that's what they mean when they say tittle or dot. You and I, when we choose fonts on our computers, we either choose a font that is serif or sans serif, not serif. Serif means there's just this little bitty, fun little tail. That's the tittle or the dot. So what he's saying is, I'm not coming to throw away the law. If I threw it away, it would say that God made a mistake and we didn't need it. It was wrong to do it. Instead, I'm coming to fulfill it and to complete it. Matter of fact, nobody can throw away the law. Not even a yod or a dot. Nothing, not one part of the law can just be thrown away and, and we pretend that it doesn't matter. God gave us the law for a purpose. He wasn't closing the Old Testament forever. He was fulfilling it. Jesus honored the Old Testament. 
And then we notice that Jesus requires obedience. This is, this is somewhat surprising to some of us because we, we love grace. We live in grace. What role is obedience? Look at 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You, you don't deal with the law by ignoring it or disobeying it. We can't become right with God by lowering his standard. That's what he's saying. He's about to make a huge spiritually uh, powerful statement. But in order to do that, he's got to set this up. So here's what he's saying. You don't please God by lowering his expectations, by throwing away some of the law to make it easier to jump over. All right? He says, God made his law the way he made it on purpose. He made it, by the way, impossible for humanity to make a point. If you and I throw away some of those laws... What we're doing is lowering the standard of what it takes to please God so we can now jump over it. But in so doing, we have ruined the whole point. The point is the law is too hard for you to keep on your own. So you don't get to lower the standard. You don't get to throw away some of them. He's about to give his followers a number of commands and He's going to expect the people in the kingdom to live by those rules. And so he's teaching that it's not that we throw away rules. It's that we understand the purpose of the law. Matter of fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you hear my words and do them, you build a house on the rock. In the Great Commission, he tells us to teach each other to observe all he has commanded Jesus still requires obedience. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to do when he calls us to do things and tells us what to do. You know what it means when we call him Lord? That's not just a word of praise. When we call him Lord, we're saying, you're the boss. You're the master. I'm the servant. You're the master. If he's Lord then he's Lord of all. And we don't get to pick and choose. So Jesus requires obedience. But then notice that Jesus makes us righteous. Jesus makes us righteous. The, the point of the law is to show that you can't keep it so that you need Jesus. And then Jesus steps in and says, now don't diminish the law. Don't, don't erase the ones you don't like. The law is supposed to be impossible. Keep it impossible so you know you need me. And then in verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you say, well, how is that supposed to be? The scribes and Pharisees 
picked and chose which laws they liked. They did their best to keep the laws. They even added to the laws their own rules. They were all about external rules telling them how to live. Jesus said, you in the kingdom, the new way, those of you in the new way, your righteousness has to be more than theirs because theirs is based on rules. Your righteousness has to be greater than that and it has to be even bigger than the law. You have to be so righteous that you surpass the law. Well, friends, there's only one, only one way that's going to happen, and he knew that. That was his whole point. Citizens of the kingdom are not about proving how good they are, about being religious. They're all about living in a way that proves they have a relationship with the king and is that relationship that makes them righteous. The standard is not lowered in order for you to get into heaven. Instead, you have to be perfectly righteous, just like you always did, However, now we understand the new way to righteousness. Romans chapter 3 helps us. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they point to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You can't keep the law. You also cannot throw away the law. What you can do is depend on the one who fulfills the law. And when you depend on the one who fulfills the law, he gives you his righteousness. Philippians chapter 3 at verse 9, Paul talks about being found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Sunday school teacher asked his kids one morning, if I sold my house and my car, I had a big garage sale and I gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? No, the children all answered. If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven, he said? They, they all yelled, no. He said, well, then if I was kind to animals, gave candy to all the children, loved my wife, and brought the preacher a Dr. Pepper, would that get me into heaven? Again, they all answered, no. He said, well, what do I have to do to get into heaven? The little five-year-old boy shouted, you have to die. <laughs> Not wrong. But before that day, you have to find life. Right? You have to find the way. Jesus came and he said to a world of people, there's been this outside force called the law. It's been directing you in a way of life. But I'm bringing a whole new way. This new way is based on faith instead of law. 
We're not going to throw away the law because it did its job. It told you how much you needed Christ. And now Christ stands before his people and says, today I announce that the new way is here and available. Friends, you're never going to be religious enough to earn your way to heaven. You're never going to be good enough to undo all the bad that you've already done. You're never going to be smart enough to understand all the theology. But you can know Jesus. And when you trust in Jesus, not just believe that he lived, but when you trust in him to be the way, the truth, and the life, when you trust him, you follow him, you make him your master, your Lord, you obey him, it is then that you can say, I've got a home in glory. <laughs>